Corner.com, your source for Virginia sports, and brought to you this week by Kyle and Tori Matusa's baby boy. Congratulations, guys. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, August the 5th. August has finally come, and yet football <laughs> remains off in the distance somewhere. A mirage, um, an idea, um, a feeling, if you will. Um, we're, we're obviously going to talk about sort of the 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 no, no no pun intended the pregnant preseason here that just kind of keeps on um throwing us curveballs we're gonna kind of follow up on last week's conversation about the schedule and everything um we are we were very fortunate last week to record the show a little bit after the ACC released its model and we had the names of the teams that Virginia would be playing unfortunately this week we uh we we're on the flip side of that which is we're recording before the ACC releases the actual schedule. So we will no doubt be talking about that next week. But if you're listening to this and it's Thursday afternoon and you're not sure why we didn't talk about it, I'm very sorry. Uh, I don't control time. Um, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Fisherville, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, dude? It's going pretty well. Congrats to Kyle and Tori and the Corona baby. That's exciting. Who Days on the board, at Who Days on Twitter. <laughs> now I have to use Corona baby in the, in the, as the title. Uh, up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber also on the program. What's going on, my man? Yeah, congrats to them, too. I'm sure they won't be the only ones having corona babies, um, if history is any guide. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, let's talk about something else. <laughs> Ferber's starting to get the sweats. Uh, Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs <laughs> underscore Corner, great place for the game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, all right, so let's follow. You know, a lot of podcasts do a thing actually called follow-up, where it's like a, a set thing in, their, in the beginning of their show. We've really rarely done that. We we certainly had topics that just sort of previously on previously on um, but uh, but in terms of the model, we had a we had a lot of conversation about it last week. It's now sat with us for a week. Um, I, I think the only thing that I feel less um, I don't know full throat about is the Notre Dame piece because <laughs> I feel like. Once, uh, once the the sort of details really got ironed out, um, and I realized, you know, that um, the whole monetary situation, I wasn't quite as into it. But I do like the fact that if they're going to join a conference, they got to join the ACC. But other than that, um, the reaction to the ACC's decision, and then especially the plus one model, um, has been interesting because. Other leagues just didn't do the same thing, right? So the SEC came out literally the next day and said, no, we're going to do conference only. The Big Ten has now said they're only going to play conference games only. Um, I guess the, the, the question I want to pose to you guys is, do we think, and again, I, I, don't, I don't know if non-conference games will get announced tomorrow. I'm guessing it'll be just the ACC games. Um, but do we think the ACC, anybody in the ACC is going to play that plus one? Dave, let's start with you. How, how alive is the plus one in your mind? Not very. I mean, I assume the ACC is going to have to at least leave a blank week for you, you know, in the schedule they release tomorrow for your right. out of conference game. But I, I don't know how they can do that unless they've talked to the member schools already about who they're talking and which weeks they would need that to be. Um, so, I mean, I guess technically we have to kind of know who they're playing out of conference tomorrow to know where to schedule them. Um, whether that actually happens, I, I wouldn't bet anybody's money on it. Um, it just seems so unlikely at this point just the other risk reward thing. And even if you're, I can't remember who reported it, but like, you know, UVA has got VMI on the schedule and it, it costs Virginia a lot less to get out of that game than it does to play it. Um, so do you, you pay three, I think it's three seventy five or something. I know I texted you guys about it. Um, a little less than 400,000 to play that game. They'd have to have VMI, but it's like 75,000 to get out of it. So if you're not selling tickets to it, is it worth it? And I'm sure that model is going to get repeated school to school um the question for me becomes like are these non-conference opponents are they so eager to have a game in front of potential television eyes that they'll play that they'll ask for less than they would have gotten normally i think that's to be determined so at this point i don't think it's likely i think the risk is just way too much yeah I'm, for before i get to you i want to kind of chime in I've been thinking about this, and I'm of two minds, right? So on the one hand, it definitely feels to me like a situation where if you can get, if you cannot play it, you you do protect your players, you especially because if the if the game's not going to be on the front end of the schedule, right? 
what good does it do you to play somebody in, you know, early November? That doesn't that doesn't matter, right? Um, that being said, there's also the piece of the monetary piece, right, which is a significant um, consideration right now, given the times we live in. Um, as, you know, in terms of what athletic departments are having to just to kind of juggle. I think Dave's got a good point there. Like, what you know, what will what will schools do? And then there's the flip side of that, which is like, if you have to pay people, right? If you have to pay anything. Is the game worth it, right? Um, what does it mean for the league if there's not more inventory? How much of a hit does does the league take if they don't have the inventory? I was almost positive once the the news came out that the Big Ten was going to go conference only and that UConn was going to cancel its season. Um, somewhat, somewhat unbeknownst to me, apparently UConn was seen by many folks as like the most likely plus one for UVA given their uh, you know kind of um, presence on the previous schedule. Um, but to me, I don't know. I, I, I thought when those two things kind of came out, I was like, all right, well, that probably means the plus one's done. But then Whit Badcock is talking to media folks after Virginia Tech just colossally screwed up literally everything in the past, like, 72 hours. Um, side note, folks at Tech, if you need help, PR people, you need people to help you put out statements and things that, like, you know, might keep you out of hot water, maybe get – some other people like because whatever is going on over there is not working it's like everything you guys did for like a whole day was like just digging it making it worse anyway we'll get to that later i'm sure um but anyway i digress but he he mentioned that you know they were looking at a plus one um and expected to be able to i think he essentially said they're expected to announce that soon and that kind of surprised me a little bit um ferber what do you think do you do you do you feel like the plus one still has a, is, has some viability or are you, are you expecting it to go by the wayside at this point? What do you think? Um, based on the comments that you just gave, I think it's possible. Also that coupled with Miami definitely playing one, or it seems like they're playing one, um, against UAB. Um, those two things. I mean, I, for UVA, I don't know how it works because Virginia tech has a, an obvious team to play. They can play Liberty. Um, like they're all, they were on the schedule already. They could just keep that game, move it to a different day, whatever. Liberty still needs opponents because they're independent. Um, so it works for everyone. UVA's options, UConn obviously not going to play. Um, and um, despite the reasons that they gave, which may be at least partially true um, as to, you know, like the risks involved with playing. I mean, they had like five games left on their schedule. So they were either going to have to like completely redo their schedule or just, you know, as an independent with like no interest in the program. And I think they have a bunch of guys in the portal. Like, you know, it just wasn't looking good for them. So they're off the table for UVA. UVA still has ODU on the schedule as well. Um, or at least, you know, in theory they could play them, but that's a road game. So it's like, what's the incentive for UVA to play that game? Also, another thing with a lot of these non-conference games, and then Dave brought up like buying out of, of games, a lot of times there's, these schools aren't going to have to do that because, one, the game could get moved. Like the two teams could agree to play it in a, a different year. Um, or a lot of times these non-conference like uh, contracts are drawn up to have an out if there's like a hurricane or something. Um, it's, well, it says like, you know, some sort of act of God, act of God sort right. of situation. I think that the pandemic would, would qualify or at least close to that. Um, in a lot of these cases, I, obviously I'm not a lawyer. I haven't read the contracts. I'm sure there's a lot of lawyers listening though. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, I don't think you need necessarily need to worry about like getting out of games. Um, as far as like UVA, the viability of them playing a plus one, I would say it's lower than other teams, uh, chances. But, I mean, yeah, like, if you had asked me this yesterday at this time, I would have said, like, probably no chance that there's going to be anybody playing any plus-one games. Um, but with the news from Miami today and then what you just said about Virginia Tech, um, I don't know. Again, like we said last week, I don't know if the conference is, like, making them do it or if they have a choice or what. Um, if they have a choice, I think UVA's most likely path is to not play one. Um, if they do, if, they, if, if they're kind of expected to play someone – then I think that ODU would probably be the most likely team to play. Um, I would say it's like a 50-50 at this point, maybe less. Yeah, I mean, I think in the in the long in the long term, we we should we it, let me rephrase. We shouldn't have to wait long, right? It doesn't feel like it, this is going to be a thing that's going to hang. 
because I'm sure Bronco and, and company and a whole bunch of other schools, it would make me feel a lot better if somebody would come out and say, like, okay, this is our plus one. But they might be waiting for the ACC uh, to, to kind of put out the, the at least the ACC schedules. I, I, I guess we have to at least leave open the possibility that the ACC is going to announce those things because that's not unheard of, right? I mean, that's not completely ridiculous. Um, you know, typically the way scheduling works for football is like, you know who the non-conference opponents are going to be well in advance. And then the league puts out and says, okay, here's everybody's schedule. Maybe that's what's happening here. And maybe that's what Babcock meant. Um, I mean, if nothing else, I think they, like Dave said, I think they're going to have to designate like when that game would be played and allow the teams to try to figure it out. But I mean, at this point it's kind of last minute. So what I'm saying is like, if UVA tech's going to play Liberty, they have to either give, the ACC a date so they can work around it, or the ACC has to give them a date and be like, this is when we need you to play that game if you're going to play it. Yeah. So, all right, um, before we leave last week completely behind, um, has anybody given a second look to the the slate? At least in the – I mean, we're going to talk a lot about, you know, the schedule next week, I'm sure, once we have the dates and such. Um, anybody given a second look to the, to the slate and had any other ideas um, about, you know – whether it's good, bad, whether you're indifferent to it, um, from UVA's point of view, any any other thoughts before we move on to more current um, environs? No, I mean not really. I, I mean, I, I see a lot of people talking. I mean, there's media, even some media people who are talking about how tough UVA's schedule is, and it's not easy. But I mean, did Florida State and Miami become instantly better over the week <laughs> over the <laughs> off season? I mean, no offense to them. I mean, Miami's got De'Ara King, who who could who could turn them around, but you know, at some point you are what you are. Um, in Florida State with a new coach, and we've always already talked at Nauseam at previous podcasts about, like, I can't imagine trying to instill a culture in this situation. So no offense to Norvell, who may end up being good this year right away. And we know Florida State's not devoid of talent by any means. But, look, I mean, I don't know that that game on the road is, is any different than having it at home. So, like, to me at this point, I'll take a tough schedule just to play football, but you know whether that happens or not remains to be seen. Yeah. All right, so the Pac-12 players, and I, I want you guys to jump in here um, if I'm not doing a good job as the chief summarizer-in-chief. Essentially, a group of Pac-12 players are threatening to boycott the season for a variety of, um, I, I don't know, should we call them demands? Um, essentially, they want, uh, they want the, the Pac-12 to do a lot better. Um, they want the NCAA to do a lot better before they are willing to play. Um, I personally don't feel like I have done enough research on it to, to kind of tell them, hey, you should or shouldn't be saying this, that, that kind of thing. But I do want to kind of have a loose discussion in general about what schools are doing about health and safety. Um, some of the things going on in Blacksburg, some of the things going on in Colorado State, I mean, I, I don't. I think Bronco Mendenhall is a smart guy. I don't think he's quite a soothsayer, but he seems somewhat prophetic in the in the in the spring when we talked to him about you know the season and stuff. And he said, you know, he hoped there was some equitable, you know, he hoped that teams would, um, you know, the programs would do the right thing and that that they would be about the same things. Um, but he basically painted a word picture that fits exactly what seems to be transpiring, which I guess if you think about it, is not too big a leap. You know, schools are going to cut corners. And, I mean, the idea that, like, coaches are actively telling players don't report your potential symptoms, it shouldn't – it should not surprise me. Um, and yet it still kind of does. I just – like, you, you're – don't say you're, you've are you got a head injury. It seems to be commonplace in football because it's like a tough guy, you know, sort of thing. Um, but then there's this other piece. It's like this is – this is not just, like, the health of the one person. This is, like, health of many people. Um and certainly what, what's – I don't know if, if we've gotten to the bottom of whatever's happening at Tech and whether dudes were leaving campus, going to Myrtle Beach and coming back, whether guys were sharing masks, whether – you know, what the situation is. It certainly seems like from following UVA's response that things have been much more uniform. And I don't know if that's a product of them going back later and having more time or what. But the discussion I want to have tonight focuses on how, how safe do we think schools are making these players. Now – part of that caveat to have this conversation is that like, we have to understand that like we're not, what we're not saying is like the world is making it safe for them. I'm talking about specifically what schools and programs are doing for their players. Ferb, let's start with you. When you saw this stuff coming out the last few days, 
so were you surprised? What was your sort of gut reaction to the news um, as it as it sort of trickled out? Um, not totally surprised on some of the stuff. Uh, you know, like it's interesting to me, like with the Blacksburg thing, uh, the tech thing, whatever you want to call it. Um, the the players leaving campus thing doesn't. I mean, while that's really dumb to do. Like that's more of an oversight problem than anything to me. Like, because and the reason I say that is because from what I understand, I'm not actually on the ground in Charlottesville, like watching what they're doing. But it seems like UVA kind of has created a bubble for the players. Now, whether they're adhering to it or not, like I can't say, but it seems like they are. Um, I mean, it seems like if they weren't, it would be pretty obvious since they're all like staying in the same place and everything. Um, and the same because I see a lot of these tweets that are like. Well, if you don't think these kids are going to go to parties and stuff, you're crazy. And it's like, well, they're like at UVA. I don't think they're like allowed to do that. Like, I mean, I'm sure at, at tech and other places, like they've said, like, don't do that. But if they're not keeping track of where people are, then that's on them, you know, like, and also that's going to keep football from being played if nothing else does. Um, the more teams that have to get scratched off of the schedule because they're having these outbreaks. I mean, Louisville today had 29 positive tests among other, like a bunch of different sports, um, all stemming from like one party that a bunch of people went to. Um, like that's not good. And that's before, you know, a bunch of the students come back and then it's even harder to trace. Like with athletes, at least you have some sort of like, it's like a smaller group of people. Um, once you have the students back, it's like all hell breaks loose. If you just allow them to, or, or like your rules allow them to do whatever they want to do like a normal year. I mean, that you're going to have to pay the consequences. The consequences are going to be you're going to have to stop practicing or playing or whatever. Um, now, as far as like all of the Pac-12 stuff, that doesn't really surprise me either. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes to the ACC either, by the way. Like if that happens in the next few days, I would not be surprised. Um, it, it seems like the players are, are starting to understand that they have – more leverage in this situation than they've ever had in any situation before because um they have like a good out like i mean they can say you know it's not safe to play because of the pandemic i mean like they don't have to they don't have to say like we want to be paid or else they're able to kind of roll it into a lot of other things which legitimizes it and it is a legit risk that they have to take on now as far as like some of the things that they, the Pac-12 players in particular were asking for, obviously that's not going to be remedied now, like before this season. Like they're not going to get 50% of the profits now. Um, not to mention there's like some, again, I'm not a lawyer for the second time on the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, there, but there's some issues with that, like Title IX issues and stuff like that. So some of the stuff, but, but I also don't think that the players – they seem smart to me and I, I don't think they're necessarily saying like, if you don't do all these things for us, we're not going to play. It's like, you need to start meeting us halfway. You need, yeah. And then, and then we, and then we can figure out some of that other stuff down the road when it's more appropriate to do so. I'm not saying never bring it up again, but like they need to, the league needs to say like, okay, cool. You want testing protocols across the board? Cool. We can do that. You want us to do like some of the things that they can do about COVID for sure. Um, you know, alleviate those issues. And then, you know, like say, hey, you know, with these other things, anything you can do now, like agree to do it. And then with the stuff that's not possible, you can say like, hey, look, this is an interesting idea, but we can't do it because of X, Y and Z. Here's an alternative or here's maybe we could talk about this next offseason, whatever. Um, I'm not sure where it goes from there. And I know the Big Ten was doing the same thing. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if the ACC players and SEC players and Big 12 players do the same thing because they're all seeing it. Yeah. Um, and, and they understand they're in a similar position. I was actually surprised um, that in the last, you know, this thing's been out there for you know a day or two, at least, um, that we haven't heard about players from other, you know, other conferences, um, because we can think about these things, um, you know, we can think about kids coming from different places and going to different schools, but the reality is a lot of these dudes know each other, you know, like a lot of these guys have links. Um, maybe it's not mm -hmm. quite as you know tight knit as maybe the basketball community would be. Um, but a lot of these dudes know each other. It's interesting to me, like, <laughs> think about it. I mean, this is just the, the sort of, um, you know, the sort of, this is the nature of 2020. You've got, you've got just these two massive, you know, trains on different tracks. You've got COVID, you've got um, social justice issues, and everything's sort of, you know, kind of con you know, like colliding. Um, you know, this is like a, you know, Officials from conferences are expecting to have to answer questions about, you know, 
money and such and such. And this is like a completely different kind of heat, you know, like now you're talking about like your workforce and let's, let's be real about what they are. Your workforce is now, you know, threatening to set up a picket line. Um, and you know, that's not something and you can't replace them. And you, like, exactly. You can't bring in. Right. Exactly. There's no, there's no scabs here. Right. You like you're, you know, you might get some walk-ons, um, but you're not going to be able to, to really make it work. Um, the thing I keep kicking around in my head is, um, you know, the NCAA has been silent for so long on so many different issues that had the NCAA done its due diligence and actually tried to be somewhat mindful of the, of, of the actual issues facing its athletes, some of these problems could have been negated in a way that actually allowed players to feel more comfortable uh, in this situation, as opposed to the, you know, um, exact opposite. You know, if if name, image, and likeness was further down the road, and guys were, you know, had deals and they were making um, some money off of those those things, you you can see a scenario where they would be much more likely to um, to be willing, to, right, to to play or or to, um, you know, to try to work with leagues. At this point, you you got a situation where guys are uncertain about their their season this year they're uncertain about what happens if they do sit out um which is a topic i, I want to get to in a minute um they're uncertain about what happens if their season doesn't happen right so what's the NCAA going to do about the 85 scholarship limit um are guys going to be able to just stay around school i don't know if you if if this is news to everybody but dudes don't typically like to stay around school any longer than they have to typically they like to go ahead and get on with their life once their time in college is over um so it, it does it just brings about a myriad of of questions and concerns. Uh Dave, what are your thoughts as as uh as all this has unfolded this week? I mean, I, there's a part of me like we're so focused on the corona aspect of this and whether they're going to play. I, I think we're probably all guilty of missing, you know, I mean, I think you said it, Brad, like, you know, all the social social justice stuff that was honestly, if you didn't have corona going on right now, would be a huge discussion that, that would be it because i mean the ncaa admitted they're gonna allow players to wear patches and stickers this this year you know with their messages which is in a normal year a huge concession right but given what you're asking of the players this year it seems trivial almost um so to me i found myself like even here when we sat down to record the podcast like you know trying to put my feelings together whether the season will happen you know, with the risk of, you know, the coronavirus and, you know, the, the spikes we're seeing in some places and the leveling off we're seeing in others, like, it's a confusing time. But, I mean, I think the bigger picture, given all the other stuff that was a, already kind of, you know, casting a cloud over the NCAA with, you know, with name, image, likeness, with look, the ridiculous amount of money coaches are making, the importance on winning, stuff that Broncos even talked about, like you know, entertainment value being more important, you know, than than the uh, substance kind of thing. I think now I found myself wondering, maybe I shouldn't be so focused on whether we're going to have a season this year, but will college sports ever be the same again? Yeah. Um, will, will the NCAA football, can, can it be like it was before? Um, and you have to think, like, if you don't have a season this year, that becomes very unlikely. Um, and even if you do, the concessions the NCAA is going to have to make, like makes it, I, and I've said this before, but like, I feel like the NCAA continues with the season and the member schools, especially continue to play given all the risk and given seeing what's happening in MLB. Um, you know, granted the NBA's had some good stuff happening you know, with their bubble system, but you know, they almost, you know, NCAA member institutions almost have to un- admit that these aren't student athletes in order to make this season happen, which even me, which means even if you do play this season, college football won't look the same moving forward. Um, so like, I, I don't know. I mean, you think about, there's just so much to think about and maybe it's, maybe it's good. Maybe it's a good time for a cleansing of the whole system. Maybe it's time for the NFL to pony up some money and, create a you know a g league um so the ncaa can you know if the ncaa wants to stay amateur they can do it without you know the backroom deals that happen now um it's sad that you know it has to come to this you know the coronavirus has to do it but like 
it's hard to see how it looks the same as it did a year ago with or without, you know, a shortened season because of the coronavirus. You know, you start looking at the I think it was Wisconsin today that said they're going to be like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to mention next. Yeah, I mean, so if they're down a hundred million, they're a Big Ten school. Big Ten schools are getting twice as much as ACC schools, you know, and, and you know, TV revenue. Um, and they're a Power Five program, so you start losing these Group of Five programs. If you end up with just a bunch of Power Five programs, then the NCAA football is essentially just minor league for the NFL. Um, to me, like the Group of Five and FCS, which get or what gives you an argument that it's not because um, the guys are willing to play knowing they're not getting the exposure. So I, I don't know that we all know the ramifications of all this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the good thing is I do think the players are going to get more power and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm anti like name image, image and likeness and, and paying players, not from a, I don't think it's a right, or, you know, a good idea. <clears throat> um, not from the angle. I don't think it's a good idea long-term. I just think there's ramifications that can't be assessed unless the players have a union to discuss it um but i think even while you were talking brad like someone tweeted out that the ncaa like that we are united group from the pac-12 is going to have a conference call with their commissioner on thursday night like that's huge and if anything if the article didn't get the other league's players to think about doing it other than i think the big 10 had one to the players tribune but like if the pac-12 can do this and then get an open open mic with their you know commissioner i expect over the next week or two you're going to see every conference do it um so i, I think we're going to see a lot of turmoil when you add that to the already the questions like at what point does do the ncaa I, ncaa schools just start saying maybe we need to just take a break and figure all this out um and i think we're on right on the verge of that point even if it's just not public health and player health related i think at some point the collective, you know, everything snowballing starts making the season a lot less likely than it looked even two weeks ago. And I think last week I said I was getting more optimistic. This week probably changed that. Yeah, um, I mean, if you're the wah. players, it's like <laughs> you don't have the like in like in the MLB. You know, they had a later start to the season than they maybe could have because of like elongated negotiations, right? Like, then a lot of people are like blaming the owners and blaming the players. The players in college football can say, like, we have nothing to lose. Like, <laughs> we're not negotiating for salaries because you don't pay us. So, like, we can walk away and you can't play. Like, they don't, they're not, like, losing their livelihoods because they don't make any money off of this. So, like, you know, like, they, what's the, what's the, you know, like, what what's de-incentivizing them from, from just sitting the season? Because they know that they're not going to all lose eligibility. You know, like, they're not going to do that yeah. to everyone. So, and the I problem think the is, only thing, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the only thing that is, is keeping it from happening is the guys who are NFL draft eligible. Right. You know, after this season, like they, those guys, like Trevor Lawrence doesn't need more film, but a Charles Snowden does. And I'm not saying right. like Charles Snowden won't play because of it. Cause if there's anyone who was willing to risk it, like he's the kind of guy who would, but I think those, those players who are months away from a big payday potentially, Though they're probably influencing the locker room a lot more than you know that that first you know that second year player who's hoping to break the two deep this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think one of the biggest problems in this it could be COVID, it could be how we do the playoff, it could be paying players or whatever that looks like. It, anything that's wrong with this sport or right with this sport, one of the biggest problems. And I'm not going to even blame the NCAA because. You know, like that doesn't that's just repeating the same thing. There's no centralized leadership in college football like the Pac-12 players shouldn't have to do this with Larry Scott. Right. Like they should be able to take this to the Adam Silver of college football and be like, this is what we want. This is what we need. And then that person also can set standards, by the way, for testing and protocols for quarantines and scheduling and all of the stuff that matters to the sport. And that's why you're seeing everybody do it a little differently, which make it everything so haphazard. I mean, you got like the Pac-10 is starting their season like September 26th and the Big Ten starting three weeks earlier. And, you know, it's just a chaos. And now you could have like one a boycott in one major conference and other conferences might be completely unaffected by that. So it's just like it's just like the sport is too segmented because there's not any leadership 
Whereas like with basketball, the NCAA has such a bigger hand in, in the sport because they run the tournament. Like in football, they just yeah. kind of pass the buck to the leagues and then the leagues kind of work it out. And then the college football playoff committee picks four teams at the end. There needs to be some sort of like commissioner or something of college football or what you're going to see. And you might see it anyway, is the big the power five schools are going to leave the NCAA for football and do their own thing. They could, you know, and, you know, I think the whole reason they, they talked about doing the conference only models is so you'd have uniformity in testing policies, right? ACC doesn't have uniformity in testing policies. So what the hell are we doing? I mean, Virginia Tech's down there not reporting, you know, not, like I know it's easy, you know, it's low hanging fruit for me to pick on tech, but that's most of the stuff I see. But they're I not, mean, they're it, could down been, there. it could have been some other school just as easily, like, we, yeah, you know, and, talking about Duke or whoever. Yeah, but you know, you got tech down there who clearly is on a different protocol than UVA is following. They're not reporting tests down there. I mean, it's not like I'm the only one who's pointed that out. Like the media has pointed. Yeah, every school like, is doing that differently. Like how? Yeah. So, so where's no the problems. uniformity in that? How how can you know as a member school of the ACC what you're dealing with? If I'm playing Virginia Tech next week and I don't know how many people they've had test positive in the last week because they're not releasing it because their privacy laws that you're you know. So what like you can't even get the own conferences, the guys who should be closest to come up with a, a policy that everyone's willing to abide by. Um, and meanwhile, we're like four weeks away from the start of the season. Like it, it just becomes almost laughable that they think this thing is going to happen like that. Um, you know, yeah, at, at what like, point is like they player were... safety, not even from the, the COVID standpoint, but being re ready for this season? Like, you know, CTE was a big discussion last year. Like you're going to get a guy ready to play in four weeks who hasn't had physical contacts. He didn't have it in the spring, most likely. So it's been a year since they played a football game. Um, it just it just seems like a depressing melting pot, man. Like everything is just falling into. Like if you want to be a pessimist, there's plenty of plenty of stuff. And me, I was, you know, I know I get accused of being the Debbie Downer with this COVID stuff, but um, it's getting harder and harder to find like you know the good news, the stuff that gives you optimism. Um, especially, you know, this week, uh, like to me, like, and maybe I'm wrong, but my personal belief, like last week when we recorded the podcast, I was a little optimistic. By the time we recorded tonight, I've got zero optimism and I don't know if I'm alone in that, but. So you're saying optimism is no longer down six. Optimism yeah. is down a lot more than six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think you're right though. I think what we've learned during this whole thing is that these leagues, like powers that be, even in professional sports, um, they are kind of like their leadership and ability to like handle situations like hangs by a thread. And as soon as you introduce something like coronavirus or social justice problems or whatever, like they can't handle it. Like they're at their capacity for like leadership. And, and once you throw a wrinkle in, it's just chaos because nobody knows who they report to. And it's like, everybody wants to do it a, a, a different way or like they come up with a half answer and then have to change the answer and change the answer again. And like, I mean, at least with the professional sports, like the players union and the league can negotiate something out and play. But like, and you see it with these, like the Wisconsin things, a perfect example, they're going to lose a hundred million dollars of expected revenue. Right. But like a business that makes a hundred million dollars a year shouldn't be, have no money. Like, you know what I mean? It's because they, they, they take their money and they spend it all and they're up against the, they, they spend all of their money and then they don't have any money. So then when, when they don't have any cash, they don't know what to do because they were like, well, we have a hundred million dollars in expenses to go with our hundred million dollars in profit because we have to convince everyone that we can't afford to pay players. So we spend money on things like uh, ridiculous facilities and crap like that. Um, so then it's like, you don't have any money laying around for like a rainy day. So that's this is the result. That hundred million dollars in expected revenue is expected for the football season, and obviously, like, there's not a whole lot of people that predicted there wouldn't be a football season at some point. But like, nobody had ever thought, like, hey, what happens if like a hurricane comes and our entire season gets canceled or some crazy thing? Like, they're not ready for that. Like, you know, have people heard of like insurance or just like <laughs> saving money? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, you know. And and these schools are going to be crying the blues about it, you know, going to people like VAF members asking for them to bail them out when it's like their own fiscal responsibility is why they're in that position. And that's with paying zero dollars in salary. So, I mean, they're kind of in a tough spot, but that's where they are because they don't run like a like a like a normal business, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to put your hands out when you're, you know, you got, you know, a football building where the players can take a slide to get down a floor or go play. Right, exactly. Ball. And it's like Wisconsin. Or, I'm not trying to pick on Wisconsin. They're the ones that put the numbers out, but they say we make a hundred million dollars a year. But I bet you, if they had to build a new facility, they wouldn't just pay for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They would. They would be asking for money. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. A couple things. One. Um. I, I completely agree with you guys about the idea of like the lack of a central of le- a central leadership is is telling and problematic and certainly um, you know as we can see around professional other professional sports leagues right so what is happening in baseball versus what's happening in the NBA um, you know it, it you can't really take away the realities of a situation right so like the NBA had just has significantly a significantly different situation than baseball would have given the number of players um that kind of thing um and it's exponential right like it's you're not just talking about one team is much larger right you're talking about every team is much larger and trying to get them all in one place but what i find sort of fascinating about this idea is that like the nba has shown you how to do it right now the nba has a lot of resources the nba has buy-in from the guys who are in the bubble they have the kind of the infrastructure, if you will, through um, what's in Orlando and the wild world of sports and everything, right? If you just take that idea and you try to apply it to other things, it breaks down, right? It, like, realistically, how could college football, right, actually institute a bubble? They can't, right? It's too many kids. They're too spread it's out. impossible. Right? Yeah. But the one thing you can take from it is that when you do have a group of people together and they don't interact with anybody else you don't have to worry about it right there's the whole thing about new zealand doesn't have any cases and a lot of that's because ain't nobody going to new zealand with cases um and nobody there the has nba it. and nhl bubbles have like no cases right so I mean, so if you think about it right what's the only way that college can make it work right there's no bubble scenario right is individual bubbles right and the only way you make that work is kind of what we talked about a little bit you know and i don't know if it was just last week or the week before or whatever the idea of like if we, we've been we've been subscribing to this idea that in order for 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 sports to happen, other students had to be on campuses, and I called that out, and I was like, "Why? We're, we're going to all of a sudden start pretending that student athletes are somehow actually at, like students, like regular old students, because they're not. Like, not just the 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 amount of um, the facilities they can go in that other people can't, the access that they get that other people don't, the resources that they get that other students will never see." Um, the reality of name, image, and likeness, right? I mean, you know, when I was a freshman in college, nobody was going to pay me to, you know, put my name on a T-shirt, right? Um, so I, 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 I'm not saying that the only way to, to, to have college football is for schools to just transition to online and bubble the football teams. I think that there is, in talking to different people around various programs who are doing something similar right now, there's a, there is a mental compa- component to this that I believe is a little bit of a powder keg. And what I mean by that is when there are other students there, dudes are going to leave quarantine. Like they are going to get away from the people they've been around. Like, like training camp, you know, summer camp, fall camp, however you want to phrase it is there's a reason those fights start to happen in like week three, right? Cause dudes have been around each other for too long and they just getting on each other's nerves. Right. And they got nothing else to do in quarantine right now. They're working out. They haven't even gotten to the actual football part yet, right? That's that. It, there's a significant mental part of just having too many people around each other with nothing to do, and that's one big difference. The NBA's bubble, for example, had there's a lot of activities for those guys to do, um, and dudes <laughs> still break quarantine to go to Magic City or whatever. Anyway, my my larger point here is that there, there is a there is an avenue for college sports to make this work. And the reality is, is that it's that thing that they can't say, they can't admit it out loud, right? Because if you said, oh, we need to keep our guys separate, then then you're basically admitting that they're workers. And when you admit that they're workers, everything else falls apart, right? But here's the thing. We might have actually reached a point where the regular general public is like, you know what? I want football. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes, right? I bet you, um, and if you don't, if you don't agree with this, don't email me, um, but I bet you the vast majority of folks who have historically been against compensating players would be more than happy right now to say, nope, all the regular students stay home. All of them are on online. 
players can do online from their own bubbles inside, and we, we have football. And, they're, and they will do whatever it takes to get football. What do you guys think? Do you think people, general, just regular people would be okay with that? Or do you think that they would, you know, push back significantly? Dave, let's start with you. General people, as in not sports fans. So regular. <laughs> no, so what I mean no. that what I mean by that are no. regular sports fans who who yeah. who do donate money, like regular. No, I was gonna say fans. people don't care about sports. I think it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> no, I mean to me, like you know, I was trying to do the math. If you've got a hundred players on your roster, if you'll say, "Hey, we're we're gonna give you guys a cut, you guys a twenty five thousand dollar check for this season if you stick around," was that two point five million or so? That seems like a lot less than what you're losing, and I like that's not a small amount of money for you know, every player. Um, I, I think your, your average college football fan would be okay with it. If you explained it, you know, you're, it's, it's a risk thing. It's, you know, it's a stipend. It's not a payment. You can, you can package it to make it look like you're not caving in to, to pay, you know, making football a, um, you know, a paid sport. The problem is every lawyer in America is going to line up and say, Oh, you're playing football, huh? Guess what else you got to do? So, um, I'd say yes, but it's unlikely. What about you, Fever? What do you think? I, I think the average fan. I mean, I haven't seen the polling data on this, but I think most people are, would would not really care if players got paid necessarily, especially during a pandemic. It's just like, how do you make it fair? Everybody comes at it from a different perspective. Like, I think a lot of people don't want players to be paid because they, it's like the glory days of amateurism. And I, that's one reason. Yeah. Another, enough. another is, you know, you don't want it to be a professional league. And then there's another group of people I think that are like, how is this going to affect my school? Like, right. I'm a fan of UVA football. Is it, is our program going to go in the tank when we can't afford to pay for players? Now, if everybody again, central leadership, if there's like a, a cap on how much a player can make or everybody makes the same, then you don't have that problem. Um, I think there are some issues like Dave brought up. Like, I mean, they can't just like make that rule because then you have to pay other sports. And I mean, it's, and then you have to decide like who gets paid. Does everybody get paid the same across sports? Like, how does that work? Um, I don't know. Um, I think that would, I think most people would be okay with it. There's just the, the ramifications of it would be, you know, the legal end. And then also, um, you know, what does that mean for next year and the year after that and the year after that and, um, and, and so on. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's a, I, I think you're almost in a situation now where it's like, normally I would say it's an absurd idea, but I mean, now it seems like it kind of wouldn't make the, I, I don't even know if it would move the needle for me, you know, like if somebody had said that tomorrow, I'd be like, all right, yeah, whatever. UVA is playing Boston college on the moon. So sure. Um, <laughs> you know, like, who, like if you, anything you, I mean, like if you had told me like six months ago, well, before the quarantine, like six, seven months ago, you, they were going to blow up the schedules in August. And on August 5th, we'd still be waiting on yeah, a schedule. There you go. That's a good point. Like, I mean, and, and nobody started camp yet. And, you know, what? it would have been, like, absurd. I mean, nobody would, would have believed it. I mean, even after the quarantine, I think a lot of people were, would not have believed that this would still be going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what you talked about with everybody creating their own bubble, that's, like I said last week, that's pretty much what the Premier League did and what the Major League Baseball is trying to do now is, like, everybody kind of do their own thing, follow the rules. Everybody's got the same rules, testing policies, whatever, transparency. We'll play each other in empty stadiums, but everybody's got to handle their business to keep the thing going. Um, baseball's had some issues with that. You're going to have a lot more problems with that. You know, like you said, if, if, if you can make all the rules you want, but you can't keep someone from breaking them. And if somebody breaks them and brings coronavirus into the locker room, then it's too late. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like, you know, everybody's infected with it. So um i mean like you can yeah like again even with the testing policies and things like unless um and there is and, and again like i i think that as much as i don't think it's fair to the players to expect them to be at some standard that we don't expect everybody else to be at like if they want to play football they have to they have to follow the rules like you know what i mean just like we have to everybody else has to make them and, and make sure that they're fair and, and do what they can to make them easy to follow the players have to follow them because, you know, we could everybody could do everything right, and a couple of kids go to a party at one school and they can't play football anymore. Um, 
And I, I'm not saying like, you know, it's all their fault or anything like that. But I mean, if you want to be paid, you, you know, like you're going to have to be treated like an employee at some point, yeah. like, you know, you're going to have to yeah. be expected to do certain things. I think I can sum up my pessimism in, in one little statement. Like it's August 5th, right? And Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente can't confirm or deny if their football players went to Myrtle Beach the last yep. two weeks. Yep. That's a problem. Yeah, that's an unfortunate. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. Like, that's I'm not trying to put it on those two specific people, but like, I mean, maybe they know something they're just not telling. But if that's true, then that's a huge problem. And if it's not true, it's like, well, then just say it's not true. <laughs> you know yeah, that's mean? my. Well, yeah, you can't was, be. You can't like walk out your dorm at Tech and be at Myrtle Beach. You yeah, no, that, that was like my thing. I was like, if, if you were to go and come right was, back. If this was ODU players going to Virginia Beach, I'd be like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Like, you wouldn't notice they're gone. Like, if a tech player goes to Myrtle Beach, it's like a multi-day trip. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, Maybe this was during a period where they, like, weren't forced to be together. Like, you know, stay in the dorm or something like that. Um, The Also, the whole thing of, like, the indoor facility is an outdoor facility. Like, that's stupid. Um, (laughs) Yeah. saying about messaging it's just a lot of this is just messaging like <laughs> that's just stupid uh, i mean could you recommend hall saying that well it's an indoor facility well, but it's really indoor outdoor facility is an outdoor facility after all you know now listen here's the thing i will i got bumped offline i hope i didn't miss anything great because it sounded like i did dang yeah. it <laughs> well ferber just made a joke um he, he basically called him stupid it was fun uh you'll have to listen to the to the to the show but I, I told you guys yesterday like i live in an apartment with a balcony it'd be like if i opened the door to the balcony and was like my indoor my apartment is now outside like yeah <laughs> i mean listen uh, the one thing about it is is that in a scenario where you were spaced out yeah it probably it, it would give you a lot of the same benefits because it does have a lot of ventilation and because the ceiling is so high that anything that's swirling around in there is not you know you're not being like sort of inundated with virus right but you can't call inside outside like that's just not gonna fly like that's not a thing right but here you, you, the messaging piece is just fascinating to me like the idea that you can't come out and say you know we had some guys who left and we handle and you know we handle that internally and but like you, you specific like at first they were trying to like fuente wasn't going to comment at all on farley's uh accusations or his comments right um and then throughout the day, there were like these little bits and pieces. And then, you know, this is this is the second time in like how long now that that Babcock's had to like go do a press conference, essentially, to take care of some mess that Fuente made and then couldn't clean up. Now, for all I know, Witt's in charge of the you know, he's he's got some sort of um, go no go on the statements that they put out in the in the intermediate time, which only threw fuel on the fire. I just think that it's a bad look for college sports. And again, we're not we're not just picking on tech because it's tech. This just happens to be the one situation we know the most about right now, right? But look at what happens. What's happening in Colorado State, where that staff, uh, you know, actively, you know, allegedly actively telling players not to report symptoms, you know, basically being retributive in terms of the idea of opting out, which is a topic I want to get to in a second. Um, but and then you have players like refuting it. Yeah. So it's like we, you know, who knows what yeah. is going on. And so then, and then you know, you you have to also appreciate like the the different interest and in, and in sort of um, you know, there's the one side, the other side, and then the truth, right? But the bottom line is, is like really all it is, it's it's just the people in positions of some sort of power and and at the head of the table, uh, people who are supposed to be making decisions, the adults in the room. In this situation, even more so, uh, an apt description just keep messing it up like left and right. And you're like, well, dang dude, if you can't get, you can't be trusted to make sure your guys aren't going to Myrtle beach in the middle of a pandemic. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't be trusted with any of this stuff. Like how are people supposed to like have any confidence in what you're doing? Right. And that's the thing. Is it like, is it possible that there are guys at UVA who are breaking quarantine or whatever? Sure. Of course it is. Right. But I can tell you this, like the second Bronco finds out about it, I do. I have no doubt that he is not kind. Right. That like there is no like, oh, this dude broke quarantine, but it's okay, Right. There's no you know what I'm saying? Like you you look at those guys have they were they were prepared for the situation they faced. And then 
they faced it, right? Like they, they came into it, you know, whether it was the, the conversations the staff had, whether it was just their own edification and research and stuff beforehand, whatever. Like, and I think Virginia's doing the right thing. A weekly update of the numbers. We don't know. They, they're not going to confirm to us. Like I reached out to UVA's basketball staff, for example, just to see if I could confirm like who was, who was there. And they weren't, they didn't do that. Like they basically like, Hey, we're not going to do any updates. They're just going to do the athletic department updates on the numbers, which is okay. That's fair. Um, I understand the whole idea of the privacy and like, you know, the school's not going to come out and tell you that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why they don't specifically talk about injuries. I mean, some of it is like they're weird and paranoid and competitive. And also they just don't, they don't want to tell you. So it's an excuse. Right. So like the idea that tech's not (laughs) going to tell you, like tech's not going to tell you anything about its testing protocols and what the data says. Meanwhile, UVA up the street is, is doing it every Friday. Like, like you, if you're, you have to know that that's not going to fly. Right. You have to know that when something happens like this, that somebody's going to go like, wait a minute, why are they not telling us their testing information? Are they testing? Like, do you see what I mean? Like, it's just such an easy lily pad to jump from. Um, and, it, and it just does underscore how bad the adults in the room are at being adults in the room. Um, the other thing I want to talk about real quick was there was this conversation was that Washington State? I forget which school it was, but the idea essentially that guys who opted out um, were not basically allowed to be on. Basically, they were they retained their scholarship and they were they were still on the roster, but they were not a part of the program. So they did not have, you know, weight room or cafeteria privileges. They didn't get to go into the meeting rooms. They essentially were like excommunicated from the program. Um, how do we feel about that? What because. My my and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, but like my my beef with this is it was it was framed as a red shirt, right? You can basically not not compete this year. It was never framed that you were just going to be, you know, cut off from your teammates as if your teammates were the problem in the first place. Um, but that's my my point of view, Dave. What do you think? Do you if guys opt out, should they be still allowed to work out uh, and such? Do you feel like that's retributive? I, uh, it depends. I mean, I think it's a program by program decision. Um, it, it just depends on what you've got set up. So if, if you're allowing the players the freedom to go stay in their dorms and stuff, and you've got one guy who knows he's not going to be, he's decided not to play that year. Can, can you trust him not to go do risky stuff? Cause it's, yeah. Cause he knows he's not going to play. Um, I can see both sides of the argument. I certainly saw your side of it too. Like, I mean, it does seem a little weird to, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it is different than a red shirt season in, in the sense that there's a pandemic going on. Um, but we're not technically in fall camp yet. So technically they're in all season workouts. So I, I don't know. I, long story short, like if, if Bronco said, Hey, if, if you decide to opt out at this point, you, know, you need to leave. I'd probably support it, um, just because I can. I can see both sides of the argument. Right. Um, I think there's a little bit. Like I also don't want to like alienate a kid who's doing it for good reasons and right. say, "Hey, you got to go home now." Right. Because um, if you do I, that, I don't know what the middle you, ground is. See, my thing is that like if you if you do that, you're essentially you're setting up a scenario where the voluntary option is not really an option, right? Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of these kids are not like the idea that like they couldn't lift weights for a year, right? Or however many months. Yeah. Right. Like that's just that's a non starter, right? Like the idea here is that like they just don't compete. And I and I've tried to explain this to people on Twitter and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do it again. Like the vast majority of players who have a concern here are not worried about their teammates, the guys they see all the time, the guys that they are tested with, the guys that they understand the protocols the best, right? It's the guys who come from other places when they don't know what they're doing. Now, presumably the ACC has supposed to have, you know, protocols that are similar that are in line and other guys are, you know, doing the same things you're doing. Um, but clearly given, you know, some of the, the hubbub about what's going on in Blacksburg, that's probably not a thing. Right. Um, I just, I just felt like in the sense of like if Bronco and his folks, when they talked to the kids before they came back and they said, okay, here are your options. You can opt out. We will respect your scholarship. You will still, but you will not, but if you choose to do this, you will not do, you know, if they set that from the start, then you really can't argue with it because everybody understood what they were getting themselves into. I still would say that the worst thing you can do for a student athlete is to put, to, to put a barrier between that athlete and his teammates. That's one of the reasons why red shirting is so tricky 
it's because guys feel like they're on an island. Like I, I've talked, I mean, you know, like I'm just off the top of my head. Like I'm thinking about like Jay Huff and DeAndre Hunter. And yes, did those were those years beneficial to them from a physical standpoint? Sure, but mentally, the idea that like they weren't really a part of the team was hard for them. They didn't go through the same stuff. They didn't do the same stuff. Right? Their workouts were different. They didn't go on, you know, to this or that. They didn't get to play. Like that's a, a hard thing for an athlete in a lot of situations, right? The, and this, if you're if you're an athlete who has a family situation and you you need to you feel like for you that's the thing you got to do, and then they just basically kick you off the team like that has a dramatic impact on not just like that student athlete's ability to play in the future which you know presumably we were trying not you know this whole situation wasn't like hey we're going to give the opt-out because we should but at the same time we're going to basically excommunicate you so that you feel bad about it you know what i mean like that just seems counterintuitive to me on a number of levels ferber what do you think do you where do you come down on this yeah i i don't know i kind of i kind of disagree um I think that people don't understand, like when when that happened. I think the biggest thing that Nick Rolovich did that was wrong was he got into all the other stuff, which was made him look bad. <laughs> um, I think the opting out thing. My understanding of it, and I can be wrong. I don't think that I think players that are opting out are not going to be with the team. Like they're just going to be home because all these colleges are doing remote learning, so they're going to be home. And if they want to work out at home, like that's their choice and and they will have a place to come back to. And obviously nobody's disparaging anybody for, I mean, if somebody, if a coach is like, you know, basically disowning a player for opting out, that's different. But this kid also was at Washington state was like working out with the team and then just out of the, not, I don't want to say out of the blue, but decided to opt out. And I think what the coach was trying to tell him was like, all right, well, if you do that, you have to leave. Because they do have some, like, liability stuff with that, too. Like, I don't think that they want to have a bunch of guys hanging around that don't want to play. Um, so I, I, I kind of understand it. I understand that you don't want to be, a, like, you know, you don't want to be, like, not around the team. But that's the choice that the player made, like, you know, to basically not compete. So I think competing practice and all that other stuff is, like, rolled into that. Um no, I don't necessarily think you have to like kick him off the campus and all that stuff. But like every every situation is different. Like if a player came to Bronco and was like, "Hey, I don't feel safe. I have an issue. I, I don't think I can play this year, um, but I also don't think I'm really safe at home. I kind of want to stick around like a normal student would, but I just won't, you know, be around the facility or whatever." I think that would be met differently. Um, but I think for the most part, you're going to see players that just don't report to school. Um, like for UVA, I don't think they've released that information. But you know, if, if if a group of players like don't come, I think they're just not competing. I don't think they're gonna have guys like hanging around the McHugh that aren't gonna play. If that makes any sense, yeah. I just never really thought that as a possibility. Yeah. So when I saw that when I saw that this coach Nick Rolovich was telling him he had to leave, I was like, well, yeah, because that's what everybody else that's opting out is gonna be doing. See, I thought of it in the exact opposite, which I never thought it was an option that guys would be excommunicated like i thought of it as an injury right let's say let's say you're jermaine crowell right you were a part of the program even though you were not able to play do we think that jermaine crowell didn't have access to the locker room do we think that jermaine crowell didn't have access to the weight room like he probably had you know is is does he not have trainers right does he not have? yeah but i mean that's different i mean why is it different though but why he is it got different? hurt in the middle of competing? Right. Like I mean, but he he it's it's a it's a situation. It wasn't it's not his, safe for him choose, to. He didn't choose to get concussed. Right. <laughs> like, but some of these players are not choosing that their family situations are such that the health and safety. It's not. They don't feel safe. Right. Ultimately. Right. And that's their choice. It's, it's not safe for a player to play. Besides, like I don't want to play football anymore. It's like cool, but you're not on the team anymore. <laughs> like no, but you know, even like, if but even but but nobody tells people who are we tell people all the time right. Um, who who have to take a medical red shirt? What ends up happening? That person ends up being uh, taking some other position, right? Like that person got hurt. It's not their fault. These kids, yes, they make it. They're making a choice to say they don't want to compete, but ultimately, it's a safety choice. It's not like a, you know, oh, I just want to like reap this for all the benefits and not, you know what I mean? Like there is oh, no, a, there's I don't a think reason. Anybody's like benefiting from it or anything. But I think if a player is like, I don't feel safe playing football this year, that includes all football activities. Like, you don't get to just say, like, I'm not going to play in the games. Unless it's a conversation that a coach is willing to have and accept, you know, and that's that's their choice. 
Um, I don't think there's any like hard and fast rule that you can't have a player stick around. Um, like if a player was like, hey, I feel completely safe with what we're doing, but I'm really concerned about what tech is doing. I'm just using them as an example. Um, I think they would probably have to have a conversation about that. I don't think he would just be like, okay, you're opting out then. Like that's how like I think a lot of players, it's like the general idea of just being around a lot of guys and on a college campus too is a reason that they're opting out. Um, because I mean, you got guys like that aren't even reporting to the school like for workouts. So I think that it's not just about opponents. Um, like I, I never, I, I don't see a lot of people saying that in their opt-outs. They just say like, I don't think it's safe, whatever it is. <laughs> like, um, it's a tough situation. And I think the thing is like, as long as if, if a player came to me as a coach and was like, I'm going to opt out. And I knew that like, let's say I was, I was told by my athletic director that anyone not competing had to leave. Right. You can deliver that message with empathy and say like, Hey man, like, I completely respect your decision. We will be glad to have you back when you're ready to come back. But you can't be with us now because of X, Y, and Z. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. When this is over, come back. That's fine. Like, that's not, that's not like being spiteful. It's, but if a coach wants to be spiteful in the way they do it, then that's, that's par for the course for how a lot of programs are run across the board. Dave, what do you think? You, you give us some uh, give us some parting thoughts. <laughs> no, I mean, like it's a complicated situation. It is because I mean, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Like, evidently, a Bronco had you know Zoom calls with the players and pretty much asked them to buy in. You know, you're either in or you're out. So we don't know who's not back, right? But we we all assume the players who opted out aren't on campus right now, um, because to me, like. And the yeah, player that I, I, did test test positive for COVID is not in Charlottesville. And I'm assuming I'm not sure that's why he's not there or not. But just so people know, because I've had a couple people being like, "What happened to him?" And it's like he wasn't. He's at home. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I understand both sides of it. Like, you know, the player opting out this year also is guaranteeing himself a, a scholarship next year. That he can't lose a scholarship, right? Um, like a redshirt player doesn't get that guarantee. So it, you know, you can redshirt and not have a scholarship the final. You know, it's a year-to-year thing. This year, this year is gifted to you. If you don't want to play this year, you're gifted that scholarship next year. That's something that doesn't exist in the redshirt equation where scholarships are year-to-year. Um, so it, it's complicated. And I think it comes down to what we've talked about before, which is trust, but, you know, a, a culture of trust between your staff and your players. Um, you know, we keep talking about like, – I had someone today ask me um, you know, what I thought about it and why would players opt out if they've already been on campus for a few weeks. But, you know, we've been talking about the players and, like, how to keep them safe and keep them from leaving campus. But we know how big college football staffs are now. You know, you've got recruiting office, you know, you've got all the people in the recruiting office, you've got support staff, you've got nutrition people, coaching staff, strength, you know, strength and conditioning. All these people, do you think they're staying on campus or are they going home to see their family every night? So if I'm an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid sitting, you know, doing my part and going through being the company man, and then I'm like, hey, where did Coach so-and-so go? Oh, he went home to hang out with his family. Why am I stuck in this dorm? Like, you know, so I, I think it's it's totally feasible and, and you know, and, and likely that we're going to see this continue. Um, and as I've said before, like, once – I'm telling you, even if you get a season started, if you're 0-3, like, things are going to change. Um so, I mean, I think the levels of everything, you know, the, the complexity of this, I feel like we, de- we, we we get new topics to discuss as far as the layers of this thing, but I don't even feel like we're even close to where, you know, to the layers we're going to talk about later, which we can't even fathom right now just right. because there's just so much trickle down. Yeah, I agree. It's a good conversation. Um I think this is a good place to put in a pen in it. We'll talk about the schedule and everything next week. If you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you feel so inclined, give us a rating and review. Helps get us out in front of more people. Uh, if you're somebody who has found the pod, has not given us a look yet at the website, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Let's see, right now, aside from Kyle and Tori's baby, which is not on the website, um, none of that stuff was on the website. For, sorry. Um, Ferber's got two film room uh, pieces up since the last pod. Uh, he did one on Terrell Jana and his tremendous 2019 season. He also did one 
um, on the rest of the wide receivers, which you know really came down to um, Tavares Kelly, Billy Kemp, and Dontavian Wicks. Um, I was on um, um, another show the other day, and I basically was like, "Listen, Wicks is my guy." Um, if so, Wicks doesn't have a, a damn it. Big, <laughs> if uh, Wicks doesn't have a big season, um, I'm going to be very, very shocked and surprised. Let's see. We've also got. I did. Uh, Jay Huff is coming back. Um, I, I got to call this out because it was hysterical. So Dave was like, asked the other day uh, if if Huff had announced, and I said that you know I, I didn't think he he had or whatever. And, and Dave said it would be very like Jay to just forget that he needed to do that. Um, but then Huff is, is did announce in a very uh, Jay Huff kind of way uh, that he was coming back. So I did a three takeaways from that. Um, I, it didn't really dawn on me until I started d- diving into that thing. Man, what what kind of situation would they have been in without him? Um, presumably with just Kafaro, Shedrick um, in the post. Um, I mean, they would have been playing a lot of small lineups. Uh, let's see. I caught up with uh, three-star offensive lineman Jack Lair the other day, talking about he basically he's in the home stretch of his recruitment, coming off of an unofficial, unofficial to UVA, um, and then the Cavaliers picked up a commitment as we record this today. Three-star offensive line, excuse me, tight end um, Jack Whitmer. And I had a chance to talk to him about that decision and sort of what went into it and why. Um, what, what was it about that trip to Charleston that really sealed the deal for him? So give us a look at all of those fine, fine links and such. Um, so, again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time, as always. I very much appreciate all they do. Um, so for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.